Well, today our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, first part of this, verses 1 through 17. In our Bibles, you see two sections, but we'll be considering all of that text, verses 1 through 17. And Paul, as you remember, is dealing with a complicated church, to say the least, a church that is right in the hustle and bustle of Roman Greek life, one that we know is struggling with compromise. Paul spent much time in Corinth. He loves the Corinthians, but as was his work, he planted churches and moved on. But as Paul has been away, the Corinthian church has, as we so often do, slid into its Greco-Roman ruts, ruts of living, ruts of thinking. And Paul is coming at them strong in this text. He loves these people. You hear the terms of endearment as he speaks to them, even in our text this morning. And I, brethren, I, brothers, right? He's not coming at at them as adversaries. He's coming to them as brothers. He loves these people. And yet he has very strong words for the Corinthians. In fact, even in this text here, you see he's, he's belittling them. He's talking them down. I wanted to treat you like adults. I really did. But I have to treat you like little babies. (laughs) This is is what he's doing. You know, when we do this as teachers, people say, you shouldn't talk to kids that way. He's talking to adults that way and saying, look, I would love to have treated you like adults, but unfortunately I can't. So we got to, I wanted to feed you big boy food, but unfortunately we got to get the bottles out and uh, you'll have to, you know, suck on that because um, I can't give you meat like I wanted to. Uh, So Paul's going after them pretty strongly uh, in this text because Paul loves and desires, as does Christ, the unity of his church. And when Paul sees the unity of the church being threatened, he has the strongest words for people. As he saw with the Galatians, Peter step away from Gentile believers because the Jews came And you'll remember this. He references this right at the beginning of Galatians. Peter was interacting with the the Gentiles. Because of the vision he had gotten in Acts 10, he learned, okay, we can consider uncircumcised believers part of the family. And so he's socializing with them and he's eating with them. But then some Jews came from Jerusalem who Peter knew did not believe that, who believed what Peter used to believe, that Jews and Gentiles had to remain separate. And so Peter's socializing with the Gentiles and then the Jews show up and he hears they're outside and he steps away from his Gentile brothers. Paul catches that. Paul, Paul's in the room. He sees this. And he gets Peter and gives Peter a tongue lashing. In doing this, you are denying the gospel. Not only does he rip Peter, but he writes to the Galatians and rips Peter in the writing. I mean, this is serious for Paul. Paul hates to hear of division within the church, yet nonetheless, he begins the book of Corinthians citing this problem there in Corinth. The church is divided, and sickly and sadly, it is divided by people choosing sides among apostles and and, and co-workers within the kingdom. I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Paul is upset by this. You're treating us, you're treating the apostles, he's saying, as if we are Greek sages, 
as if somehow we're like the teachers, the rhetoricians of the day where you kind of had your guy. Paul's saying, this, you're misunderstanding. You're thinking like Greeks. You're thinking like Romans. You're not thinking like Christians. And Paul speaks very strongly about that. So I take that to mean, just as an outset, not just as empty introduction to a text, do you think like Christians? Or do you first think like Americans? It's very easy to go, <laughs> oh, those guys, oh, that was so silly. You know, they thought like Greeks. You know, they thought like Romans, you know. Yeah, well, that's what we do. It's just we can see Greek thinking. We can see Roman thinking. It's very hard for us to see American thinking because it just feels like life. It feels normal. It's just seeing the world the way it is. Well, yeah, but that's how it felt for them too. Seeing the world in a Greek way is just the way it is, is what you do. And Paul's coming and again giving us that Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But to think like that, you've got to understand the pattern of the world. You've got to understand what it means to think like an American. And to do that, you need, you know, it's like you're, you've, you've flown an airplane. Gene's about to go up. <laughs> I love that white knuckle traveling. Gene's going to be flying. So I was just, I just flew to Charleston uh, a couple weeks ago. You know how it is. You're in a plane. You're going 500 miles an hour. You're going 500 miles an hour. It doesn't feel like you're doing that. Now you hit some turbulence, it feels like it. But, but generally, you're not going. But, but you've been in a plane, I have no doubt, where you get close to the clouds. And when you get close to the clouds and something goes zipping by your window. Now, you don't know how big the cloud was that just went by. But it went by pretty quickly. That's really the only time you get, because you need something to compare it to to know how fast you're going. What does 500 miles an hour feel like? If you were in a car, 500 miles, you just wouldn't even be able to believe how fast you're going. But you're up in the sky, you have nothing to judge it by. And then thoop, a cloud goes by you. And you get a little sense of how fast you're going. Well, how can you judge the American culture that you're living in? It's like sitting in a plane, there's nothing to judge it by. And Paul is giving us this. He's giving us the scriptures. You must judge the American culture, the American way of thinking by this. You've got to read this. You've got to eat this. You've got to live in this so that then you look back up and you see the direction you're moving, how fast you're moving. You can judge the culture. If you don't eat and drink Bible, it's, you might as well be sitting in that plane having no idea how fast you're going. For, for all you know, you're, you're going 10 miles an hour. I don't know. You need some reference point. And that's what Paul is giving the Corinthians, a reference point. Well, now I'm throwing in aviation and travel metaphors into a Texas loaded with metaphors. So we're gonna have, we have metaphors coming out of our ears today. Paul, Paul, in this text, gives us at least three basic metaphors within 17 verses. All right, we have the metaphor of, and I'm going to combine, you could say even four, because we have the metaphor of maturity, babies and adults, but he combines that with the food. So I'm going to just keep that as one, that we have a metaphor of food, the kind of food we can take in. Then he jumps to a metaphor of gardening, and then without even transition, he just slides into a metaphor of temple building, building a building. So I love this because this is how I think. I, I was just at the conference in, uh, in Charleston. I ended up speaking with the, the, I ended up walking with the guy who runs that work, that conference. And I was telling him about Chapel Field and I, 
I said something that I'm trying to drill something down into the fabric of the institution. He said, you're trying to drill through fabric? And, and, it, <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay, you're right, you're right. I'm, I'm just, my, meta, my metaphor, I'm, I use so many metaphors, I just start jumbling them all in together and I needed him to call me out and say, no, you don't, I don't think you drill into fabric. Maybe that's your problem at Chapelfield. Yeah, probably right. Well, Paul kind of does this. He's leaping all over the place. So let's start with the first one. Paul comes and he jumps on them pretty quickly. We've already heard some of the challenges he's given, but now he brings the metaphor of food and their adulthood. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes, little babies in Christ. I would like to talk to you as a spiritual person. And here he's using a formal term. This is what we should be, people filled with the Spirit, people who walk in the Spirit, people who have the mind of the Spirit. Remember, the last thing he just told us in the last text, you have the mind of Christ. And I would, so if we just read that without any flow, uh, without any break, for who knows the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. You have the mind of Christ. And I would love to speak to you as to a mature person, as a person who understood that he or she has the mind of Christ and who he calls a pneumatikoi, a spiritual person, a man or woman of the spirit. But I could not. Because you are of the flesh. You are carnal. You are sarkakoi. I'd like to talk to you as a spiritual person, but you are a person of the flesh. You are not thinking with the mind of Christ. You are thinking with the flesh. What the Greeks thought of as like a man of the belly. I think, think of, I could have chosen for our, 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 and at some point I will, our word of exhortation from Philippians 4. No, they're God. He's talking about those who are not in Christ, who are not citizens of the kingdom of God, but citizens of this world. And he says their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. They are sarkakoi. They are fleshly people. And brothers, sisters, I would love to have spoken to you as ones who have the mind of Christ, who are spiritual people, who see things through the lens of the Bible, who interpret things through the lens of Christ. We're able to discern Greek culture, take as much from the Greeks as is good and that which we can glorify God with, but who will not be conformed to the pattern of their thinking. But I could not. For you are little babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you are not able to receive it and even now are still not able. For you are still carnal. And notice the carnality the fleshliness here is in their strife. It's in their division. The divisions among you are evidence that you are not operating with the mind of Christ, for the mind of Christ is not divided. The mind of Christ is not fragmented. The Holy Spirit is not fragmented. As he tells the Ephesians, there's one Lord, there's one Spirit, there's one church. I want us to think about this in terms of us here at Affirmation, because again, what good is it to hear the, the words he convicts the Corinthians with if we can't hold up a mirror and reflect back on ourselves. What would Paul say to us? 
Are we pneumatikoi or sarkikoi? Are we spiritual people? Are we people of the spirit who are learning to eat solid food? Who can eat big boy food and big girl food? Or those are, are we those who can only drink from the bottle because we haven't gotten the fundamental things of the faith right? Now, it's not to say that milk is bad. In fact, in our text in 1 Peter, he says, desire the pure milk of the word. I imagine you drink milk. Drinking milk is not bad. But for a little baby, it's the only diet. That's all because that's all you can handle. But even as adults, we like milk, and milk is good. And we should never be so mature that we don't need to hear the simple things of the faith the foundational things of the faith, that we don't need to be reminded of these things. Of course we do. But we also need to be men and women who are growing in our faith, who can handle the deep things of the word, who don't, as I reflect, uh, again, because I deal with high school kids, but I, to be honest, I don't view high school kids and adults very differently. It's not like, well, I have to change my... I wear the same hat when I talk to you and when I talk to them. I, I, I do not change things very much. And that, and that goes both ways. It, it can, it can, it can, I can tell them, hey, I expect this from you and I can talk to you. You have the minds that can understand these things. Sometimes the vocab, maybe not, but you can handle it. But I, but I say to them, and this is a challenge for us, we hit hard things. And I call it tapping out, like in a like in a UFC fight or something like that. You know, you're being choked out. And you you know, when you when you feel like you're going to pass out, when you want to concede defeat, you tap on the mat, and the referee stops the fight. And students do this when they run into hard things. You 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 read a hard text, you deal with a hard truth, and you ask them to wrestle with it. And usually, it goes something like this: You say, you know, hey, tell me back what Saint Augustine's saying here, and they go. Um, well, he's, he's saying, and then I feel it coming. I feel the little tension in that pause, and I know what's coming next. It's, he's saying, I, I don't know. Tap out. And so I have to say, no, I'm not going to be the referee that stops the fight. I tell the guy on top of him, keep going. No, 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 fight this out, work it out. We've got to be able to handle hard things. You've got to be able to wrestle through this. You cannot tap out when it requires you to burn some mental calories to think about it. And this is a danger for us, particularly in the modern evangelical church, because a lot of our devotionals and these kinds of things keep study of the Bible on a very surfacey application level. Not that application is bad. I'm applying the text now. But it's very easy for us to kind of feed on the application and not on the Bible. Because application, I got the person just doing all the hard work for me, doing all the heavy lifting of the text for me, and so I don't have to read it and think about it. Like a, like a mama bird, they've already taken the food, chewed it up, basically digested it, and then kind of push it into my mouth. And they say, well, look, you don't even have to read all this. Let me, let me tell you what Paul's saying. Here's the application for your life. And you're like, okay, good, because he's using some hard words and some hard concepts here. So if you could just mash this up, 
and give me the application and just tell me the cut to the chase, tell me what I have to do, that would be great. That is what many, many modern devotionals are doing. And I don't have a problem with devotionals per se, but I will tell you this, they weaken your stamina to read the Bible and do the heavy lifting of a text. Because then when I got to get into Paul, I'm just, I don't know. Because I don't know how to get to the application that devotional writer got to. So I just read the devotional writer to hear what's being said anyway. I just want to challenge you on that. I want to challenge you not to tap out. Don't be little babies. Don't be those who can only handle milk. Don't be those who can only handle pre-digested text and Bible in order to eat. But pray. You have the mind of Christ. Be mature men and women then who can grow and begin to handle heavier and heavier, richer and richer foods. Paul is talking them down here. Now again, for Paul, it's primarily because of these divisions that he's coming after them for. I wish you would be spiritual, but you are carnal. And so he goes back to the divisions. How can you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos? So back to this. How can this be? That's so carnal. That's such a baby way of thinking. Instead of viewing Paul and Apollos, which is what he gets to next, the question he asks in verse 5 is, who then is Paul? If I'm correct, the Greek here is, what then is Paul? Not who then is Paul? Because it's not asking about Paul himself. He's saying, what role do I fill? What role does Apollos fill? What are we after all? We're not celebrities. We're not what it's about. What is Paul? What is Apollos but ministers? What is Bill Spanger? He's, he's just a, he's a servant. I, I'm, I'm just an agent by which God uh, teaches his church. What is Paul? What's Apollos? But we're ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Now again, now boom, okay, like that. Paul switches metaphors. Now we're no longer on babes and food. Now we're to gardening. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The farmer doesn't make the crops grow. The farmer tills the soil. The farmer puts the seed in the soil, and then God makes it grow. The farmer's not making anything grow. The farmer can maybe make sure the soil is fit for it as God in nature has determined. The farmer can pray for rain. The farmer can weed it so that it grows the best it can, but the farmer is not doing the work inside that seed of germination and growth. And that's what Paul's saying. So what am I? Why are you, why are you choosing sides and pitting me against Apollos? We're just ministers in this grand process of the work of God, the ultimate gardener. I watered, uh, excuse me, I planted. Apollos came in behind me and watered the work, but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. It's not about Paul and Apollos, but God who gives the increase. God is all that matters here. As John the Baptist says, I must decrease that he might increase. It's not about John. Remember, they come to John the Baptist. Are you upset that? Jesus is doing the things you're doing, like the crowds who used to be around you out here in the wilderness, they're all starting to go over with Jesus. And, and his disciples, little babies, come to John and say, hey, you know, they feel the jealousy of this. They feel the competition of this. 
And John is just on a completely, John the Baptist is just on a completely different wavelength. No, this is as it should be. I exist to draw people to him. I must decrease that he might increase. And Paul is making that same point. So don't you dare, Paul's saying, put my name up on a pedestal and say, well, I'm of the Paul group. And don't you dare do that with Apollos and say, I'm of the Apollos group. That's how pagans think. That's how Greeks think. But we view ourselves as members of one body, and that is the body of Christ. Now, again, Lord willing, this isn't a problem here. But again, even within modern evangelicalism, it's a problem. It's a problem of celebrity pastors and these kinds of things. It's really a problem. And no question, we like the way somebody teaches, and maybe we don't like the way. Okay, that's fine. But we have to be on guard of this. It's childish. It's childish because it's Christ that we follow. And every agent, no matter how big the name, how big the church, or how small the church, all are merely ministers. What are we but ministers who draw to Christ and to Him alone? So now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And now here, again, without a blink, Paul, snap, bang, we're in another metaphor, and he comes to the last metaphor. So we've had that of children. We want to be mature men and women of the Spirit who are fed solid food. Secondly, we are plants within a garden that God himself is watering, though he are growing, though he is doing it through agents, planters and waterers and cultivators and so forth. And each of you has a role within that as well. We talked about this uh, in Sunday school the other day. When you are uh, at the table talk, when you do evangelism, this is very encouraging. We remember you don't give growth. You are not going to save anybody. The way you share the gospel is not going to bring anybody to salvation. Just like the farmer cannot make anything grow. Right? He just sows the seed, God makes it grow. Same is true for you with evangelism. That's very encouraging. And the second encouraging thing on this, as a point of application, is that you have no idea where you are in the process. Now, for Paul, it was pretty clear because he's a church planter. But, but when you go out and you speak to somebody, you're on that plane, Gene's on that plane next to somebody, and they get talking. First, they're talking baseball. Then they're talking music, of course. But then, at some point, perhaps they get to the gospel. And... and uh, and as Gene shares or prays or hears their story and says, hey, my church will pray about that, you have no idea where in the process they are, where a seed has already been planted. Maybe you're the planter. Maybe you're the first time anybody's ever heard this, and you're just a seed sower. Or maybe you're watering. Or maybe you're right there, and the Lord gives you the amazing gift of harvesting. You know, when it's like that person, the Lord has been working on them, and you talk to them, and they say, man, I want to be a Christian, and that's just unbelievable, but it has nothing to do with you. The Lord has been doing a work probably through a whole host of other people, and you just got the amazing privilege of seeing the fruit burst forth. It's a wonderful thing. But I want to encourage you by that in your own evangelism. Every little thing you do is playing a role within the work of God for the growth of this garden. You're, you're participants in this with Paul and Apollos, but be humble to know you don't bring growth. But that should be liberating, in my opinion. Finally, let's look at the last metaphor. This is the longest and the most challenging here for us. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Bang, metaphor switch. 
According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Now, here he's going to say, hey, I laid the foundation here in Corinth. Now, Apollos is coming in. Now, we're not talking, you know, horticulture anymore. Now, we're talking about builders. Paul lays the foundation, and then he leaves. Apollos is going to come and help build the church. But, hey, Corinthians, be very careful how you build. A solid foundation has been laid. Be careful how you build. And this is something for us to apply to us as a church, as part of the larger Christian church, let's say in the West, but also in our own individual lives. For he's going to say, you are the temple of God. That's the, that's the metaphor. You, and Peter drew on this same thing. You are the temple. You, plural, you, affirmation, are the temple. You, Christian church, are the temple. But also you, Bill Spanger, are the temple. Okay, a foundation has been laid. Now, how are you going to build? How, what is going to be built on this solid foundation that has been laid by the apostles? And here you'll, you'll see it's, 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 it's binary for Paul. It's either going to be precious stones, which are sustained, or it's going to be you know, consumables. It's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And again, just go back and read later 1 Peter 2 and hear it in, in harmony with this. Because he's talking about a solid foundation that's laid, Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. And you can see that in the New King James, they capitalize day there, meaning they understand this to be the day when Christ returns and puts all things to the test. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So here, Paul is saying, again, we have to read this on multiple tiers because he's speaking to the Corinthian church. He's also speaking to Apollos, who's building on the foundation. Hey, what, found, what, what church are you building there in Corinth? Hey, elders of Corinth, what church are you building? But then he's also speaking to us as individuals. What are you building? Your life is like a little temple. What, what's it made out of? What are you constructing your life out of? Are you building with precious stones, with silver and gold and precious stones, and what would that be? This would be more fun probably for Sunday school, but what, what are these precious stones? At least we can say, can't we, that it's God-glorifying obedience, even little works of obedience that are being done to honor and glorify God. Is that what we're building up? Are we building up in, in the context of his text? It would be pursuits of unity within the church, but within our own lives, it's just acts of obedience and holiness. Peter listed out a bunch of things for us. 
don't do this and don't do that and be like this and be like that and suffer. When you do it, suffer patiently and all these kinds of things. Uh, David gave us a bunch in, in, in Psalm 37, our Old Testament reading today. Go back and read that. The scriptures are saturated with things that are precious stones that are meant to be the, the, the building materials of your life. Or are we building with wood, hay, and stubble? Are the passions of our life and is the fruit of our labor only consumables? Is it, is it stuff that one day when put to the fire is gone up in smoke? It felt so important in our 80 years. It just felt like it was so important I had to pursue it. But in the end, when God puts it to the test, it's just cinders. Here's the reality, Corinthian church. You will be run through the fire, and we will see what comes out the other side. Your building has, has a solid foundation. That we know because that you did not lay. That was given to you in Christ. Christ is your foundation, and now a building is being built on that. And this building is going to be run through the fire, which is an odd image, and we'll see what comes out the other side. If you have built with precious stones, then all the fire of that judgment will do is cause them to glisten and gleam, right? Fire is a friend to gold. Fire is a friend to silver. It refines it, purifies it. Silver loves fire. Gold loves fire. It cleans it. It's like, it's like bath water to a baby. Wood, hay, and stubble, like the old, the old uh, scarecrow in Wizard of Oz, not a friend of fire. Wood, hay, and stubble is consumed by fire. And our life is a jumbled mess, of course. And when we pass through, when the Lord brings His holiness to bear upon our lives, what will there be? That's a, it's, a, it's an unsettling question that's asked to us and one that I think allows for good reflection and contemplation. As you go home today, it's worth reflecting on what kind of house you are building. Now, at the same time, I don't want to cast you back on your own strength and say, hope you guys make it. You know, when, when, uh, when you go through the fire, good luck. Hope we see each other on the other side. Because like with Peter, in our word of exhortation today, Peter gives us some hard, strong words about how we're to live. Basically, using the image of a temple, giving you your task, you are a royal priesthood, suffer like Christ suffered, and then he reminds us but at the end of the day, we return to our shepherd, who is the overseer of our soul, who suffered for our sins so that we would stand. And here, Paul gives us that. He, he, he gives us a very strong image. Doesn't it make you afraid to have to pass? Your, your life is going to be exposed. All your little idols are going to be exposed. All the things that you held on to that you valued are going to be exposed and consumed. That's unsettling to me, okay? But then he tells us, but those who built with wood, hay, and stubble, it will be consumed. Each one's work will be clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each man's work what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built endures, he receives a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That is to say, so long as you're on that foundation, so long as you are rooted on Christ, so long as that is where you build, 
you will survive the judgment, right? The judgment will not destroy you because you are fixed upon the foundation of Christ who is the chief cornerstone, though indeed you will suffer loss. The little idols that you clung to, right, have to get ripped out of your hands. They get peeled away. And that, that's not going to be pleasant, I don't think, on that day to have ourselves exposed like this. Yet it's utterly necessary. It's the purging, if you will, that we need to enter into the presence of God. We need to have this exposed and removed from us that we might then with clear eyes see the glory of God. There is a holiness, the author of Hebrews says, without which no man will see the Lord. And so on the one hand, it will be loss. On the other hand, it will be glorious loss. So I challenge you, Here's the application for you on this metaphor. What house are you building? So what food are we eating? What role are we playing within the garden? And then what kind of house are we building? Three challenging questions for us. What house are we building? Because he ends us with this with a rhetorical question. Do you not know, just as Peter said in 1 Peter 2, that you are the temple of God? And as I said in the word of exhortation, metaphors are beautiful because they provide lenses for you. They help you think about common things in a way that allows us to grasp them. Life is life until Paul says, yeah, but you are the temple of God. What's that mean if you are the temple of God? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. How dare you be carnal people when you have the spirit dwelling in you? You are meant to be spiritual people and you ought to be because the spirit dwells in you. You are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. The temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? You are holy. I mean, even that, while Paul ends with strong words, even that, Paul comes back at the end with a word of encouragement. God's temple is holy, and that's you. And as Paul often does, he basically tells us to be what we are. He doesn't tell us to make ourselves something. He's not saying make yourself a holy temple. You are the holy temple. So live it. Be it. You are the royal priesthood. So be it and live it out. So may we take these questions today and contemplate them. Contemplate them, remembering always that the growth is the Lord's. The foundation is the Lord's. He is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He is the one who has paid for our sins. And that's part of being a holy temple, is leaning on him and trusting in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make us more and more, having had and received the mind of Christ by your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to be what you have made us to be, spiritual people, people governed by the Spirit, not governed by the flesh, people who live according to the new man, not continually trying to revive the old man. We thank you for the growth that you have brought in us, for those who have planted seeds that have been watered and that you brought to life in our own souls. 
We thank you for the men and women who played parts in our salvation. But Father, we recognize that it is you who gives life. And so make us sowers and waterers and harvesters for your glory. But guard us, we pray, from celebrityism. Help us to see all as ministers of yours. And finally, Father, we pray that you would help us be men and women as individuals, but also at the church here at Affirmation that endeavor and strive to build upon the foundation of Christ with silver and gold and precious metals, to live lives that will last because they are lived for your glory. Guard us from the idolatry of wood, hay, and stubble that surrounds us in the American dream. Make us your servants, we pray, for we are your temple, and as such we are holy. Make us holy, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.